0: Well, good afternoon. What are the three words that God desires the most to hear from you? Now, you might start thinking, oh, I know what they are. I love you. Wrong. Wrong. It's not, I love you. And I would say, what are the three words that God desires the most, especially if you're talking about maybe the times that we need a new beginning, which is quite often, throughout the year, throughout our lives, we need to make a a new beginning, have a new revival, start all over again. There was a man uh, several years ago, many years ago, his name was Jim Baker. He was a member, I think, of the PTL ministry, and he had gotten into certain scandals, uh, taking people's money and uh, certain sex scandals, And eventually he was caught of all these things, embezzling money, people's money. Eventually he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Now I I never really did think much of Jim Baker. I've always had a unique gift of, I think, maybe discernment that God has given me to see straight through what I would call in many cases the Sunday morning comedy hour and I realized, okay, this can't be real. And so I didn't have a lot of respect for, for Jim Baker. But after, and I don't know how long he, he served, but later, after going through all of that, getting caught, he wrote a book entitled I Was Wrong. I, and it, it was like a breath, almost like a breath of fresh air when I saw that coming from him because I thought, wow, that's coming from a Christian there. I, it's sort of the same feeling you get sometimes when you see a vehicle that says just married and you think, Boy, I hadn't seen that in a long time. It's been eight years since I've seen that sign. You know, just married. You mean people still do that? And I thought, well, man, it's, it's, you mean Christians still admit I was wrong? And that's the three words that God desires the most to hear from you, to hear from me. I was wrong. And I think. Really, God cannot work through you and in you until you admit that. And it's not, not, you know, it's not something, well, yeah, I did that when I was baptized. I'm not talking about that. Of course you did it when you were baptized. I'm talking about hopefully on a regular basis you're able to come to this and to say, God, I was wrong. And I think, why is this so hard to admit? And I really think it's harder for religious people to admit because of, in many cases, a theology that they have. I mean, after all, you think about, okay, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm justified, I'm heaven-bound, I'm made right, once saved, always saved. I mean, where's the room to say, hey, Lord, I'm wrong, after you get all that stuff going on, you know? And it makes it nearly impossible for religious people to admit, I was wrong. And I think it's interesting that for Jim Baker, he had to hit rock bottom before he could admit, I was wrong. And I wonder if we could save ourselves a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering if we could get into the practice with God, being able to say, God, I was wrong. That we could eliminate a lot of those rock bottoms that we have to endure from time to time. Now, you know the story of Adam and Eve. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, and this is after they had sinned, by the way. They took the forbidden fruit or whatever it was. You know, They did what they shouldn't have done. And they hid themselves. Notice that. They hid themselves. Now, think about it. Why, why couldn't he just say, you know, oh, God, I was wrong. Why did they have to hide? Why could, how hard is that? Okay, I did what I shouldn't have done. God, I was wrong. Why why couldn't they do that? Now, let me meddle into your affairs. Husbands, have you ever admitted to your wife that you were wrong? You ever said, I'm sorry? Wives, have you ever admitted to your husband? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Think about it. And the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Why? Why couldn't he do, Why didn't he just say, "Look, I did it. I was wrong." How hard is this? And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me and I did eat." Why? How why couldn't she just say, "I did it. I was wrong." And what we learn here is there is no difference in the sexes here. I mean, you, let's let's just get that out of the way. Okay. We have a problem with this. Admitting I was wrong and again I come back to I think it's harder for religious people because of their theology saved, sanctified, justified, heaven bound made right, once saved, always saved it makes it impossible, nearly impossible for them to even admit God, I was wrong I was listening to a DVD, I pick up CDs especially if it's religious stuff I picked up a DVD and I was watching it driving down the road (laughs) don't ask me how I do that but I was listening to it I was listening to it driving down the road (laughs) And they have what, you know, like a call to worship. And they do this every Sunday. And the choir gets up and sings this every, it's just repetitive, over and over, every Sunday morning. They, they have this little tune they sing. They, it goes like this. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving me thy great salvation, so rich and free. That's a cute little thing, you know. But, but again, I'm going back to, okay, theology here. This is in my mind. This is in my head, you know. And again, where is the space? Where do you create the space for God, between you and God, to admit, God, I am wrong. Now, if that weren't bad enough, I think theology often does keep us from this, but if that wasn't bad enough, our world teaches us a certain way to think. We are bombarded by this, and it's it's sort of like what you would call positive thinking, Never think ill of yourself. Always think the best about everything that you do. Now, the danger of positive thinking is that it leads to lack of self-evaluation. Lack of self-evaluation. Every decision that some people make is right in their own eyes. I mean, I don't care what it is. It's just, okay, since I've made it, it's got to be right. Now, if that sort of sounds familiar, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, Proverbs 21, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. And I think about some of the examples that Jesus gave. He gave this example the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, this rotten, filthy publican standing beside me. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. I want to tell you something you do not have to be a Pharisee to be self righteous, you don't even have to be religious to be self-righteous. All you gotta do is just believe that everything that you are now doing is right. Never evaluate yourself. Never second-guess yourself. Never think ill of yourself. Always think the best about everything you do and every decision that you make, and you will be a modern-day Pharisee from hell. All right, let's look at Psalms 51 and verse 1. Psalms 51 and verse 1. And look at an example of a man who could admit, I was wrong. Example of David, Psalms 51 and verse 1. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. He says, have mercy on, on me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know the reason David was called a man after God's own heart is because David was like a little boy who could go to God and say, God, I was wrong. I was wrong. You know, I think the history of mankind would be a little bit different if it had been David and Eve. You know, instead of, instead of Adam and Eve, David and Eve, because it sets up a pattern for life. A person who can actually, sometimes we need modeling from other people. You know, we, we need someone to model that for me. to show us how to do it. How to admit, I was wrong. We need that example from others. Now, parents, Have you or did you ever admit, I was wrong or I'm sorry to your children? You know, as parents, we sometimes think we've got to play God. Well, God never asked for forgiveness, and I'm not either. (laughs) Listen, you're not God. You're not God. Okay, get used to that one. You have to model that for your children. And self-evaluation is not something that you just do one time. Admitting that you're wrong is not something we just do one time. It's 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 a lifetime process, and it hurts, and it's painful. You know, the last Sabbath, I took off. And one of the reasons I wanted to take off was that I needed time, just me and God, my Bible, prayer, self-evaluation. No distractions. Self-evaluation. In fact, I personally, I do this quite often. Now, there's the, p- the problem is, you see, sometimes we don't like the pain that goes along with this self-evaluation self-evalu- because we don't have the answer right now. You know, we, we, we present this to God, God, you know, and, and yet for the moment we don't have the answer. And you've got to work through the answer, and eventually you get the answer. And so there's a certain amount of pain involved as you're evaluating yourself. You know, there's a way to totally avoid the pain and confusion of self-evaluation. There's a way to avoid that. Just believe everything you are now doing is right. (laughs) Never evaluate yourself. Never second guess yourself. Never think ill of yourself. Think the best about everything you do and every decision that you make. And you won't have to experience any of the pain or confusion with self evaluation. And you'll miss the first resurrection. (laughs) Uh, You'll miss, uh, that's the downside to it. You'll miss the first resurrection. You know, I am sometimes amazed at, you know, you know, things we allow, people allow in their relationship with God. You know, sometimes you, you look at people and you think, they obviously are not evaluating themselves at all. There is no self-evaluation or else they wouldn't allow that in their life. Things we say, things we do. We need to have this as a regular part of our life the self-evaluation that can hurt and can be painful. Now, you need to be able to admit that you're wrong in a relationship with God, but you need to get past being wrong. You need to be able to admit it, but you do need to get past, you know, being often when you admit that you're wrong, there's a certain amount of shame that comes over you. Because you're ashamed you did something wrong. And shame... This is the tricky part. Shame can cause us to feel certain emotions. I'm never going to be good enough. So I have permission. I have entitlement to do wrong. So you want to, yeah, you want to be able to self-evaluate, admit that you're wrong. But you don't want the shame to just eat away at you. You want to move past admitting that you're wrong. Because I think that is a, a tricky area that certain emotions that shame can lead to, you know, you just sort of give up. You know, I'm never going to, I'm never getting there, so I might as well, and then we give ourselves entitlement to do what is wrong. But you need to move past admitting that you're wrong. That mistake is now out of the way. I have been forgiven. I can now move forward. God can now use me in a more powerful way than I've ever been used before. God, great blessings are coming my way. As the scripture says, you know, the angels in heaven when a person repents, admits that they're wrong, they're rejoicing. They're going to throw a party. And you're going to be a part of that party. You, know, you can share in that. So you know, we have to get past the shame of admitting that we've done something wrong and not just stay there in the shame. <clears throat> Romans 7 verse 4, 15. I like this scripture. It tells us something about Paul. Paul could admit that he was wrong. Romans 7 and verse 15. He says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it's good. Now then there is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that in me... And is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. You know, someone said that this statement was written some, I think, 20 years into Paul's ministry. You know, some people like to say, oh, that was Paul at his very beginning of his conversion and he's admitting you know, this struggle. But no, actually, I think that was written, this statement was written on into his ministry. And what we know about the Apostle of Grace is that he could admit that he was wrong. He, can, he could admit that he was wrong. Now, hiding, I want to talk a little bit about hiding from God. And they heard the voice of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why is it so hard to admit I was wrong? You know, it's easier, I think, to hide from God. And I think sometimes what we can do or what many religious people can do, they hide behind their religion. The way people can avoid admitting that they're wrong is to hide behind their religion. And it goes like this. I want to explain it to you. What does it mean to hide behind your religion? Well, it goes like this. I'm unconditionally loved. It doesn't really matter how I live my life. I know I am unconditionally loved. You know, love doesn't mean anything without repentance. It's futile without admitting I'm wrong. I mean, how do you, let's ask this question. How do, you, how do churches justify, for example, homosexual priests being ordained into the ministry? It's clear what the Bible says. It's an abomination. It's wrong. But how do they justify it? The answer? I'm unconditionally loved. I am unconditionally... That person is unconditionally loved. That's how it's justified. Because you can't justify it from the Bible. I am unconditionally loved. It doesn't Morality? How I live my life? No biggie. I'm unconditional love. Jesus came with a specific message. I'm just going to read some of these. You don't have to turn there. From, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. And they went out, the disciples, and preached that men should repent. What's that saying? What's the focal point of the message? Focal point of the message of repentance is, I was wrong. I was wrong. Jesus' message was not, you are unconditionally loved. A relationship with God does not start with knowing that you are unconditionally loved. That may sound strange, but let me explain. A relationship with God starts with three words. I was wrong. That's where it starts. Now, once you admit that and repent, then you can know that you are unconditionally loved by the Father. And I should, I should add, once you admit that, repent of your sin, go down in the waters of baptism, receive the Spirit of God. Yeah, you are unconditionally loved by the Father. And it's important to know that. But it's important to know what comes first. I was wrong. I was wrong. Admitting that we're wrong is not a one-time thing. There is the continuous self-evaluation that we need to have. Now, I was recently on Facebook. Someone had posted a beautiful song. Orchestra, choir, 10,000 people were there at a concert. It was a Christmas song. I forget what it was, but it was beautiful. And uh, the camera scanned the audience, and there were people, you know, just weeping tears because this was a beautiful song, by the way, about God. And I, I thought about, you know, I thought about, I was looking, thinking about this message, and I thought, you know, our adoration toward God is not enough. The words, God, I love you, is not enough. I sometimes think, forgive me for saying, but I sometimes think God would say, look, if I hear those words from you one more time, I love you, I'm going to vomit. I'm going to puke all over the place. I hear that one more time. What I want to hear from you, from me, from the world out there, from the 450,000 churches that dot our land to the 650,000 preacher. The three words that God wants to hear most from this nation is, I was wrong.